Well, this morning we continue our series in Acts chapter today, in the book of Acts, but Acts chapter 3. And Acts chapter 3 for me is uh, an interesting chapter because of how many times I've preached on it to some degree, even though every time I, I say every time, all, I'm guessing it gets changed, it gets tweaked, it gets life happens, so I'm further down the road in what God has done in my life, and, but I have preached this sermon in city squares in Texas at a youth camp with people all around. I've preached sermons. One of the things when you go on what we call the mission field, when you go to places around the world, and I've had a few opportunities to do that, the one thing you've got to be ready for, if you go out on the mission field, if you will, you've got to be ready with some sermon because they may ask you in a moment and you have no thought that it's about to come and they go, pastor preaches a sermon and then you have to do it with a translator. So you just always have to have, be ready. So this is my ready. Okay, this is the one I have filed away. If I had to whip my Bible out and start preaching right then, it's out of this book and it's out of this chapter. They're in Acts chapter 3. And I have worked on it a lot this week, so it's over the last, especially the last day or so, and tweaking it and cleaning it up and changing things so you won't hear the same one I preach in Armenia uh, or, or Mexico or somewhere else. And we may need a translator before it's all over. So there you go. We may. I want to set it up a little bit. Peter and John are going to the temple at the time of prayer. It says the ninth hour or about three in the afternoon. And it's a time of prayer, a time of confession. And it's at the end of when basically, or it's in that window of when they, in the afternoon of sacrifice and, that, and then the prayers and prayers of confession. Now, What's significant about this, if you know about the time Jesus died, was about the ninth hour, about the time of sacrifice in the afternoon. So it wasn't insignificant that that Jesus died in that moment. Three times a day, the, the, the Jews would pray, uh, at, and I think it's like at nine o'clock, noon, and three, but Jesus dies in the ninth hour. But Paul, I mean, Peter and John are going this time of day to the time of prayer, but I don't believe... It doesn't say, but I don't believe they're going there because it doesn't say. It says time of prayer, as you'll hear me read in just a minute. We'll read together. It doesn't say time of sacrifice because Peter and John know at this moment the one-time sacrifice has been done. At this point, there's no reason for them to go to the time of sacrifice because they represent the one who has been sacrificed, okay? But they're going to the time of prayer. It's still their ritual. But what I love about this, it's something they did every day. It's in their going. In their everyday life, they are headed to the temple to pray in the afternoon. And there's a crippled man there. And we'll read, he's been crippled since birth. But he asks for an alm or for some, some kind of money. And he gets a cure. As we will read, the man is merely asking for a way to buy some bread, if you will. But he receives the power to earn his own bread. As we go through this this morning, you may have come today just wanting enough to get through the week. You may have come today just with a pretty low expectation. You may have come today just going, okay, if I can just get a little bit of this, but God's saying, man, you don't know how much I've got for you. So I'm just going to ask you today to listen with an open mind and an open heart because you may have come today just asking for that, and God says, I got that. 
And I can't even tell you how big that is because it's beyond your dreams. So let's read. Acts chapter 3. We're going to go 21 verses here. So take just a minute. But it should be up on the screen also. So one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Exclamation point, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them to the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled. Here's that phrase again. It's all throughout these first few chapters. Wonder and amazement. Let me just say this. We've lost our wonder and amazement, folks. But they had this wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if, if, if by our own power or godless we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided though he had decided to let him go. You disown the holy and righteous one and ask that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. How that just set on you for a minute? <laughs> you killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus Christ, this man whom you... You see now was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled that he, what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that this Messiah would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who, who has been appointed to you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the, the time comes for God to restore everything as he has promised long ago through his holy prophets. Again, I love what Peter does, as I said in the other. Peter starts where people are. He connects with them where they are in his sermon here. He, he touches base with them what they all agree on. I think it's significant. But... I don't want to digress, it's not digress, I'm talking about scripture, but I don't want to get too far off. This man was expecting something, but what made this day, this one day, the reason I use the NIV, because I love the way it says it starts out, one day. One ordinary day, they're going to the temple, just one day. But what I want to look at this morning, we're going to go through a few things here that hopefully will be helpful to you. But let me say this. First, when we look at this scene, I think the first thing most of us come to is how much faith did the crippled man have to have 
on that day to be able to walk. And it's right to ask that question, but I would even go back up a little bit. I think we forget many times how much faith it took for Peter and John to do what they did. Please hear this. If the first faith step of courage and boldness is not taken, there's not opportunity for the second to occur. Can I say that again? If the first step's not taken, the second one doesn't get a shot. If we're not careful, we get stuck over here on the second miracle, and really it's the first miracle of faith. What kind of faith did it take for Peter to grab that man's hand and say, silver and gold I do not have, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. You know, John may have been sitting there, he's their buddies, I doubt this is the case, but John may have been sitting there going, whoa, 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 whoa. What if it doesn't work? <laughs> you know, you've said a lot of things along the way and done a lot of things that didn't turn out really well. <laughs> Our reputation is on the line. We're just starting this thing. And you're about to expose us if this doesn't work. See, if we're not careful, and I don't think John did think this, but I just want to bring it out. If we're not careful, God's blessings can cause us to protect more. It can almost be a curse. The more I have to lose, the less I'm willing to risk. See, if I don't have much to lose, I'm willing to risk everything. But when I get stuff, and I get things, and I get reputation, and I get finances, and I get prestige, and I get those things, and I get popularity, all of a sudden, I have a lot to lose, so now I'm going to risk less. We see that in finance. We see people who invest in the kingdom and place. Mostly, the poor give more than those who are wealthy. Not numerically, not in the overall, but in percentage-wise. It's interesting. And the less I'm willing to risk, though, the less I know God. See, courageous people like Peter and John, I would say here, they care about something more than themselves. Boldness, and we'll read later, they pray for boldness. They literally ask God in Acts 4 for boldness. But boldness, by the way, we define it here at Renovation, is being compelled and I love that word, compelled. Being compelled, in other words, you don't have any choice. Being compelled to speak or act the truth for the common good, even at personal risk. Different than bluntness, different than, hey, I can tell everybody what I want. No, that's the intimidation. That's out of insecurity for many people. We're talking about bold. i got a question for you this morning. Is there a person or are there people that need you to have faith in an all-powerful God to take that step of faith and courage? Because without your step, maybe theirs doesn't happen. What if your boldness today is someone else's one day tomorrow? What if your boldness today and your courage today and your faith in an almighty, all-powerful God today is somebody else's one day 
tomorrow. Game changer we talk about here at Renovation. Game changer days. Personally, I've had multiple ones over the years. And, I mean, many of you know, I've told my story too many times. I won't, not too many times, but enough times, I guess. Giving my life to the Lord December 13th, 1986 in a pickup truck on Highway 82 and exit 199 in New Boston, Texas. However, though, the bigger step of, step of faith was December 14th, which is a Sunday morning at that little Baptist church we had started attending, and me walking down front. To walk down front and say publicly, this is what I'm deciding to do. Or was it 10 months later when I knew God had called me to preach, but I didn't want to. But I did it anyway because I was, many of you know, throwing up. I'd throw up up to the point I went in to go preach. But I knew God had called me, so I continued to walk. Continue to take that step of faith. Organized my whole life at that point to leave Alumax and leave the aluminum company and, and passed up promotions. And I'm just saying this because I knew where God was calling me. I started organizing my life around that. My point is this. Those one days where you decide, I'm stepping across this line. When we began to pray to move to Arizona in October 1997, we had had opportunities to move from Ohio to Kansas to Florida and different places, Africa we were praying about at the time. God had asked us, but, but on, then in, in, in October 97, when we, when we interviewed it down in Chandler with Crossroads, and we came back to Arkansas and Texas and uh, Texarkana there, and I, and I, I said, i got to go away because what I had done before that, in critical times, I fasted and prayed. But one of the things, even though I didn't know how to quantify at the time, was also my sacred pathway was nature and enthusiast or music. So I went up to the mountainside, one of my favorite places of growing up as a kid, on Costatop Falls on the Costatop River there in Wicks, Arkansas. And I hung out there and I said, Lord, I'm staying here till I know. Fortunately, it was only a couple of hours. <laughs> Fortunately. And there was a song by Hillsong back at the time. There's an album called Shout to the Lord. And in the middle of this song, there was these words, I've shut the door. Shut the door, and you'll never. I knew in that moment, sitting on the side of that mountain, that we were moving. And this may sound self-serving, but what I want, the reason I brought this up is I want you to hear this from me, because I don't mean it as self-serving, but I want you to understand what one decision one day can make. Based on a supernatural, you believe a supernatural presence and leading it not only changes your life, but your decision has bearing on other people's lives. Since we have moved to Arizona in 1998, 45 people from the Texarkana area live in Phoenix, Arizona now. 45 people. 45 people that would not have gone to Ohio. Sorry, I didn't mean to dish you on that, but, or Kansas. No. But Arizona, okay. But no, I want you to hear this. My one decision on that one day has a bearing on other people's decisions, even though I had no idea that God was going to use that. And I, what I love about it is those 45 people, it's actually more, but some of them, have, like my two in-laws, my two son-in-laws, which are awesome, 
They were already here, so I can't count them in the number, right? And the people who've moved here and grown up and got married, I can't count them in that number, so there's, I would have missed out on that. But every one of those, they represent six churches in the valley. They're in six different churches in the valley. They're all in leadership. They're in leadership in their community. They're in leadership in their home. God is used it. All I know is I had to make a decision that one day and let God figure out the rest of it. And I want you to hear it from my heart. Is I'm not telling that it's self-serving. All I mean is you've got to make some decisions and some hard ones and go before an almighty God who is supernaturally leading you and make a decision. And you don't always have all the answers. I mean, like the Jewish council, I think it's in Acts 17. If we get there, or 16 or 17, they're trying to make decisions about the early church. And I think it's the NIV. It says they finally come to this significant, monumental decision inside the church. And all they can say is it seems right to us and the Holy Spirit to do this. What do you mean seems right? That's a big decision. <laughs> Sometimes you don't get to look back two years later. And God continues to confirm that. And confirm it. One day. Just one day and one decision. But Peter says to him, look at us. I understand Peter was not saying, and I mean, I, maybe this, they don't do this cheer anymore, but we are the disciples, mighty, mighty disciples. Everywhere we go, oh, people want to know who we are, so we tell them. That's not what they were saying. Look at us. Have you ever been around somebody that just keeps talking and you've got something important to tell them and they just keep rattling? You just want to go, stop talking! Stop. Look at me. That's what that means. Peter knew he had something for this man that this man did not understand, but he knew it could change his life forever. He had to go to exclamation point, as I read earlier. He had to go, look at us. And, and he's, saying, he's saying, pay attention. Pay attention. You know why the word pay is before attention? Because it costs you something. It costs you something. And it literally means, look at us, means like a gaze, like you're looking into somebody's character. You're not just going, oh, there's Peter and John. No, I'm looking into them. It's a gaze. You're very intense about what you're looking at. You've looked out on the horizon, the gaze. Boy, things start, it's kind of like that looking into Peter. That's what Peter's asking him. Look at me. The reality is, as we see in Acts 4, Peter were unschooled, ordinary men. We already knew it because they've been hanging out with Jesus, but they even bring it, Luke brings it back up later in Acts 4. Is these are unschooled, ordinary men. There's really nothing about them would say, hey, let me have your attention. Except, except the anointing of Jesus on them. See, I'm convinced we will either intentionally reflect a way of living that encourages and perpetuates Christ in the people we come in contact or, or we won't. We will either perpetuate people because of how we live and how we act. We will either do that and draw them towards Jesus or we will help them stay in dysfunction and self-centeredness. It's an intentional thing. It's not an accidental. It's not like I stumbled into this, even though there's times we do stumble into it in that sense. But it's intentionally being prepared and being ready. Do you live in such a way to be able to people to say, pay attention? Now, I don't mean that in an arrogant, prideful way. You know I don't. 
Do you live in such a way that people can look at your life and say, look at us? Because I believe it begins with trust. I believe, it, I believe it begins with a life of consistency. I, begin, I believe it begins with a life that says, I know where I'm going. I'm arranging my life, and they trust you. They look at you. You know, I don't trust moody people. I don't trust inconsistent people. I love them. I'll, I'll minister to them, but I don't trust them. They're over here one day, over there another day, over there another day. I'll love them and minister to them, but I don't trust them. There's something about, isn't there? There's something about people who know where they're headed and they begin to build this inspiring story and they begin to build this consistency in their life of trust. I mean, maybe the crippled man had heard about the disciples and this Jesus. Maybe he had. We just know by Scripture he was placed there every day. Here's here's an interesting thought that came into my mind, at least. There is a great probability that Jesus walked by him multiple times, and he's still crippled. Now think about that. Jesus had seen him. I think there's probably a 98.7% chance. You know, most statistics, 70% of all statistics are made up on the spot, so I just made one up right there. Now, I don't know what the statistic is. I don't know what the percentage is, but I know this. There's a great chance Jesus walked by him and he's still crippled. He had grabbed somebody's hand probably every day since birth. 40 years old, over 40 years old, the word tells us in Acts 4. Over 40 years old. But on this day, this one day, he would never be the same again. Let me say this about look at us. If you're going to say to someone, look at us, you better be living a life that reflects that and warrants that. Are you going to be cheating the kingdom in so many ways? Look at us. Let me say this, friend. You normally don't get a warning when some of those are coming. And you're just going about your day. And you have the opportunity to say, look at us. But you've been intentional. You've been preparing, not knowing that you're on this great adventure with an almighty God. It's about to bring things across your path. That it may not just be your one day. You may not even look back at it as just one one day. I had someone apologize to me from 20 years ago. I told them something about their marriage and what they were doing and what they needed to fix because I believe God was telling me, prompting me to speak it into their life. They held that grudge against me for 20 years. I didn't even know they were holding it against me. I don't even remember the conversation. Literally, I don't remember the conversation in that sense. But apologize to me and thank me that I spoke it because eventually it became, he came to the point where he agreed with it. Wonderful guy. All I'm saying is, just prepare yourself to be led supernaturally, and you may be helping somebody else's one day, and it may not even be on your calendar as a marker. 
See, I believe God is asking every, every follower of Jesus Christ, every believer to live boldly. And I believe, though, there's going to be specific moments where you'll have a little bit of bold there, a little bit of bold there, but then there's going to be a bold that says this is going to change the trajectory of your life and maybe others around you. I don't believe you get to walk this thing out without living bold. That's just my opinion. And we'll see in Acts 4 here in just a minute briefly that these guys were praying for boldness. They were asking God for it. But you may look at this and go, okay, Kurt, and all this boldness and all this prayer, and you're in the church of the Nazarene, and you guys believe in divine healing. Why doesn't everybody you pray for get healed? Why do you have handicapped parking out there? Why do you have places for wheelchairs? <sighs> Believe me, I've asked God about that more than you would ever think. Pray for my own children, let alone for my spouse. And for hundreds probably over the years. Brother Paul Jr. and I prayed for a young man with a head injury in Little Rock about 15 years ago. We were asked to come in because we were there visiting somebody else. I was there for the mission trip that we did there. And they asked us to come and pray for a, about a 10-year-old boy that had been hit by a car. And, and his head was, had, you know, you know how that works. And they were probably, he probably wasn't going to make it over the next couple of days. And the parents were going to have to make a decision. And, okay, so Brother Paul and I went in there, just laid hands on him and prayed for him, just the three of us. And we both walked out and go, something happened. Now, he didn't get up. He didn't move. didn't do anything. But we both walked out knowing something had happened. Three days later, he goes home. Not to see Jesus with his parents. <laughs> Healed. Was it me praying it? Oh, I can't tell you that. All I know is something happened in that room that God was stirring in me. But I have prayed for dozens, if not hundreds over the years, and that's not been the result. I don't understand it. What I do believe, I think Bill Hybels is the one that says it, he said, someday the children of God are going to get a supercharged body, though someday in eternity, so everything's going to be healed, right? We know that's going to happen. We also know that we have a body that can heal itself. What a supernatural thing. I've got scars. You don't want to see my ugly legs, but I could show you scars where they heal themselves supernaturally. What about those white blood cells when a disease or something, infection comes in? I, somebody told me the other day, those white blood cells are like Marines in a barracks just waiting to go do what they were designed to do. And as soon as that infection comes, man, they're let out of that place and shoo, they go to it. And as soon as it's healed, back in the barracks. Is that not, is that not supernatural? We believe in modern medicine, that God has given people... Gifts and graces and researchers, we talk, we talk about Dr. Dan, it's one of the things he does, does trying to help people in researching. How can we improve life and help people and bless people and serve people holistically? But, but guys, God uses that too. People are living longer. God is still working supernaturally. I just can't explain a praying on or grabbing somebody's hand and they don't get up. I don't know all that. And I'm not going to try to tell you I do. But I'm never going to be embarrassed to keep praying it. Never, ever, ever, because I believe I serve a God who can. He may not, the way I see it, but he can. He can. And I love what this passage of Scripture goes on to say. <laughs> Peter saw a crowd. Time to preach. <laughs> That's what they did, but a crowd. We talked about this with Paul and 
and, and, and Peter and John, there may not have been a riot that was going on, but when Peter, John, and, and Paul and all those guys were up, there became a riot, okay? <laughs> because of what they were carrying and this anointing on their life, something began to happen. They began to preach, and they preach what... You almost hear Peter chuckling here. I don't think he'd be chuckling as in thinking, thinking it's funny, but just wants to go, guys, like a nervous laugh. Like in disbelief, going, you killed the author of life. <laughs> you missed it, guys. <laughs> Hebrews says the author and finisher of our faith. You killed him. But God raised him from the dead. Don't worry, he's back. You did it out of ignorance. But Acts 3.19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away as far as the east is from the west. They're no longer remembered by God. That should have been a healthy amen right there. They're no longer remembered. Other people may remember them, and you've got consequences of them, but they are no longer remembered by God. Wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I, th I think I said this to you two weeks ago. This time of refreshing, it's like you, were, you had been drowning and someone gets you up on the shore and they start doing whatever they got to do to get you there from chest and whatever all this and all of a sudden you go, <coughs> that's what it means. You mean Repent. Confess to God that he is who he says he is and you are who you are and he is the only way out and turn and go 180 degrees. You mean that means what I just said there about the drowning? That's what it means. Again, I've said here, we've taken repentance and guilt and all that kind of stuff out of our conversation and, and culture, maybe even in churches. But what if repent? Jesus preached it. The first sermon. Peter preaches too so far. Repent. He preached this as if it was good news. <laughs> in Acts 4, and I'm not gonna, we're not going to camp out on Acts 4 at all. Uh, I don't know if some of the others are going to help us preach here. We're going to jump into it, so I'm just going to barely touch on it this morning. But I just want to say a few things because I think it's important. What, you know what the result of, was of them going and healing this man and, and preaching? They got arrested and put in jail. That's the result of it. Brought before the rulers and the, of, of, of the Jewish elders and teachers of the law. And they asked this question. By what power or what name did you do this? Now, we all know we're in a name drop culture. But back then, when you said a name, it meant something. It was attached to that person. In ancient days, it meant something in that moment. Like, today, it's more about... What, branding, if you will? Uh, LeBron, and, and I'm not, this, what I'm about to say here, I'm not saying this as a critique of those people individually, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm just saying we're trying to brand LeBron, Steph, Gaga, Bono. I mean, I, could, I mean I, I'm dating myself on some of them, even though I think they're still pretty popular. <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth meant something. And think about this. These disciples were unschooled, ordinary men, so they had no cultural power. But Jesus is the great equalizer. 
Peter, filled with the Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, says this. Rulers and elders of the people, it is by the power of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you've crucified, but whom Jesus raised from the dead, from whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you. Because in effect, what they're saying is, we, not you, are on God's side. And if that surprises you, look at Exhibit A. You've walked by him for years, and you could do nothing for him. Isn't it a horrible place to be in a religion that does nothing for you? And I don't mean that in a self-consuming something for you. But I mean literally give you hope and change. Then they tagline it with this. And by the way, maybe they didn't say that part, but salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name coming. There's nobody else coming, okay? No, the salvation is found in no one else. And I know it's not politically correct today, and it wasn't politically correct then. I'll just tell you that. There is one door, there is one path, there is one salvation, and there is found in no other name than Jesus Christ. All roads do not lead to Jesus, but I would say this, Jesus will go down any road to find you, though. Wherever you are, he'll go down that road to find you, but I would do believe with all my heart not all roads lead to him. It says, these leaders took note. Verse 13, you can read it later this afternoon. That they had been with Jesus. Their life was unexplainable apart from Christ. They had favor. Boldness. Acts 4, 29, 31 said, now Lord, this is... Consider their threats and enable your servants, that's John and Peter, to speak your word with great boldness. They did not, praying for boldness, guys, they did not pray for relief from persecution. And verse 20 says, for we cannot, tell, we cannot help but tell about what we've seen and heard. Literally the term there is compelled. In other words, we won't keep this to ourselves. There's a lot of empty seats in this building. 475, I think. They're a big deal. They're a really big deal. They represent people. We will not keep this to ourselves. You say, well, numbers don't matter. Well, they had 3,000 one day, says it. I think they added up to 5,000 on this. So somebody was keeping count. It's probably more like, who knows what the number was. But no. That's just men. That's the way they counted them. They just counted the men so the women and children would don't even know. Empty seats are a big deal. We will not keep this to ourselves. And some of you probably come today and you're hearing me talk about repentance and you're hearing me talk about all those things. I get it. And you hear about Peter and John having this boldness. But what I love about it is Peter and John no longer 
did like they did at Jesus' arrest and ran from it. They just assumed this was part of the gig. Being persecuted. And maybe we may even have to end up at the cross. Just like Jesus did. They got it. See, when you reach a point when you realize the power and authority you walk in has no rival. Again, when you reach a point where you realize the power and authority you walk in has no rival because the God you serve has no rival, you begin to act different. You begin to live different. What's so awesome about true Christianity is we do not use that power and authority to lord it over others, manipulate them, or intimidate them. We use that power to influence them for their betterment for the kingdom's sake. That's what we do with it. What do we do with it? So I have to leave here in a few minutes. power to notice you need to pray for the power to notice Peter and John noticed have you ever been somewhere God was in this place and I wasn't even aware of it until I look back on it see I'm banking everything on the fact that God is actually the one who changes people not me and he's going before me I don't have to create something. And he's there with me, and he's there after I leave. See, I believe the Holy Spirit leads in small ways. I mean, maybe just a time to listen. To put yourself in a position to listen to him. It may just your reconciling relationship, or you're just encouraging someone at Walmart, or you just, you just never know. If you've got the power to notice, you've heard me say, and I said in youth ministry for years, Get your head up and ask for the eyes of Christ. The power to notice. But most of us are noticing right here. How does this affect me? But the desire to serve changes your vision. And the issue isn't as much about taking Jesus to people who don't have him. But what I love doing is to encourage, and some of you need to hear this today, I think, is to encourage people to recognize the almighty God, the creator of the universe, who's always been there with them and chasing after them. I didn't bring Jesus to you. I didn't bring God to you. God's really heavy. I'd wear me out. No, all I'm doing is helping you recognize the God that has always loved you and been chasing after you. It takes a lot of weight off me. But I got to listen and I got to notice. So many of us have been praying for God's safety and comfort when we should be praising, praying, God, I want to be on the move like the early church. Or you make the ordinary one days unexplainable apart from you. See, for some of you today, that's those who are believers. Some of you have come today going, what does this whole conversion thing mean? What does this whole repent and turn to God mean? Well, let me, I believe this, Peter as it was with Jesus, repentance was seen as a gift. They were not going around saying, bondage, 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 
Repent, repent, repent. Bondage, bondage, bondage. Condemnation, condemnation, condemnation. You know what they were going around saying? Pathway, pathway to freedom. Pathway, pathway to life. Pathway, pathway, pathway. Some of you here today are so caught up in, in a lot of different things that you don't know what to do. And really all you need to do is repent and turn to Him. I just had a recent conversation with someone who was asking me from another faith uh, that was asking me if we had, as, as Christians believe in conversion. And it was surprising to him to find out that everybody that I believe, I believe as a true follower of Jesus Christ was converted from nothing to some other religion. But all of us have to come to that point of repentance. Guess what? The crippled man, even though he walked up and jumped and went around all over the place, he still had to repent. He may have been healed physically, but spiritually he could still be dying. What if that man said, no, 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 all I needed was a dollar? Out of pride, out of fear, whatever it is, that day, that's what he said. Look what he would have missed. Look what he would have missed. As a crippled man 2,000 years later, where we sit today, and it will be for thousands of years if we stay here on earth, or hundreds or twenties, or ten. The answer is always going to be Jesus. And it's always going to be the pathway is repentance. And it's always going to be asking the followers of him now to have a good eyesight to become supernatural in how they walk about life. I'm going to ask Stuart and them to come on down as we close. And I know we're going to wrap up. only one name you say well what does that have to do with me about repentance I mean because they crucified him they were there yelling crucify him right now they represent all of us they represent all of us and I'm not saying you have to have some rote way to give your life to Christ if that's the deal just you say these words and boom, there's a magic and it is truly something that happens in your heart and in your life that you say. And you don't even have to, like I've told many of you before, I didn't even know what the first book of the Bible was the evening I gave my life to Christ. But I knew there was a stirring so powerful inside of me, I had to do something with it. That one day. One day. Won't you stand with me? We're going to close as the opportunity we have. It's almost hard for me to close any chapter out, especially the first book of Acts. Maybe there are different ones we'll see, but without an opportunity for you to respond to it. You may have come today, and this is your one day. I don't know. You may be like me 30 years later go, July 9th, 2017, at one day. I don't know. And where it has taken us and what we have done may not blow anybody else away, but it's blown me away <laughs> to get to be a part of it. You may look at it and look at our story and go, oh, okay, that's all right. 
But you may have come today and you, when we sang those songs, you've watched people around the room going, oh, they drank the Kool-Aid. What idiots. And you may look over at them and go, they don't have a clue what idiots. And what I mean by that is, and I know that word, my wife's going to, Jan's going to get on to me without using that word. I apologize. I ask for forgiveness. <laughs> to Jan and to the Lord. I can't explain it. But if there's that stirring and awakening to step across and go, I am, you know, the, the first step's the hardest. The other 30 or 40, no big deal. It's the first one. And yeah, we make it very public. We do. But in the Church of the Nazarene, we still have these altars. It's a place to come and to kneel. It's a piece of furniture, but man, does it become holy ground when you come and you consecrate yourself and put it all down before an almighty God. And we're just going to give you an opportunity to do that. This hot summer, July day, you have a chance. We want to give you that opportunity for that one day. Lord, help us right now. We know we don't talk anybody into anything because somebody else can talk them out of it. But Lord, we do know today when you talk them into it and you put that stamp on them, Lord, what a transformation can happen. So we pray now as we sing that if you're stirring in someone's heart here to come and just pray around these altars, that they do so in obedience to you not to me. But we just pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Come if you feel left.